Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is the Lois Wetzel Show, and I'm your host and executive producer, Lois Wetzel, coming to you live at 9 a.m. Central Time from Houston, Texas. This radio show is free all the time to my listeners. I have an archived audio library of spiritual and metaphysical teachings here available free at any time of the day or night to everyone on earth with access to a computer. These shows are educational and most of the time I'll be interviewing others who will be telling about what they know, the books they've written or the spiritual work that they do. And sometimes I'll be the one doing the teaching, so please join us anytime, either live or later in the archives. I have a free email newsletter to sign up for that or just to read what's on my website. Go to hotpinklotus.com. Also, I've published two books so far, Edina, Energy Medicine from the Stars, available on Kindle, and Akashic Records, Case Studies of Past Lives, available on Amazon and Kindle. The second book, Akashic Records, is about Akashic Records readings that I've done for other people and the effects of these readings on their lives. I'm still doing Akashic Records readings, so if you're interested, contact me. The call-in number for this show, if you want to make a comment or ask a question on the air, is 347-945-5309. Good morning. It is the 25th of January, 2013, and I'm talking to you this morning from Houston, live. And today what I think I'd like to do is to read to you some from my um, new book that's going to be uploaded next month to Kindle called Sacred Journeys and Vision Quests. This was... Interestingly enough, the first book I started writing and then guidance told me that I needed to upload the book on past life readings first. Um, So I did that. And then second, I uploaded a book on um, Adina, Energy Medicine from the Stars. And this, this book that I'm getting ready to upload next month, around the 21st, is the first one I started writing. It is entitled Sacred Journeys and Vision Quests. So I'm going to read to you from it now. The Dreamer Awakens. Mystical events happen spontaneously and in a variety of ways. One may be profoundly touched by spirit on an ordinary day of running errands, or it might be that a sacred experience presents itself during a hopeful trip to a known spiritual site. This book relates some of those as well. There are those people who define the latter as a vision quest, journeys undertaken with the hope of having a spiritual experience. One thing is certain here. Spiritual, mystical, mysterious events happen of their own accord take us by surprise, and are not under the purview of any human being, not a spiritually-themed travel guide, nor a guru, a priest, a minister, nor an imam. Life is a miracle and a gift, and every moment is sacred, whether we know it or not. 
Our immortal souls intentionally incarnate in physical bodies on this planet to learn and grow from experiences garnered here. Some incidents stand out as special to everyone. These are the awake moments, the points in the lifetime which exhibit the numinous and leave us feeling we have interacted with the divine, experienced a miracle, or been contacted by spirit. Every journey, no matter the length, is sacred, and every moment has the potential to be life-changing depending upon how we choose to react to our experience. Can we see beyond the obvious to acknowledge the mystical in our lives? Do we note the symbols, omens, and signs which surround us, gifting us with information or heralding what comes? When we are thus awake, are we on a sacred journey every day of our lives? I hold that we are. Proving things and convincing others is not part of my life mission. I'm not using a scientific approach, but an experiential one. I respect the individual's right to believe as she wishes. Each person is exactly where she is supposed to be on her individual life path in every moment. Whatever her paradigm or belief system, it is perfect for her in that moment. But if the reader requires that books contain an old paradigm style of proof in the arena or area of spirituality or the metaphysical, I say to her, as the beloved Obi-Wan Kenobi once said, these are not the droids you're looking for. Empiricism has no place here. I relate below a series of tales arranged chronologically, things which actually happened to me and to others in which I believe spiritual contact was made. My intent in offering these examples is so that others may begin to recognize or receive confirmation regarding those times when they have been similarly touched. This is a travel journal as well. If you love to travel, this book is also for you. First chapter, Black Cloud of Death, July 1972. The summer of my 24th year, my husband, Philip, and I drove the Pan American Highway to Costa Rica to visit his dad. We took off for the entire summer as I was teaching school and could. Philip was a college student, so he could be gone that long, too. We had saved up my teacher's salary for a year and a half to take this trip. I had never before crossed a border to go outside the United States of America. Since I had ached to travel for as long as I could remember, I was trembling with excitement to see all the new sights. Philip's family had immigrated south decades earlier, so he had made this drive many times before. On the way to Costa Rica, we were trying to take in as much of interest as possible. One of our stops was Mexico City to see museums and then on to climb Mayan ruins. In the capital, I unfortunately brushed my teeth with tap water instead of bottled water the morning before we left for Acapulco. Using tap water even for dampening my toothbrush and rinsing my mouth of toothpaste was a big mistake. I had just forgotten where I was momentarily. Within a few hours of leaving Mexico City, I was becoming ill, and we had arrived in Acapulco only a short while before I was retching. Lying in bed for six days with a horrible case of gastroenteritis, I was the most violently sick I've ever been in my life. This was caused by a bacterium I would later learn was called chagallosis. After the six days of constant high fever, headache, dehydration, cramping, vomiting, and pain, I was so hopelessly wretched I prayed for death. I was an agnostic at the time, so this prayer was a mark of true desperation. My specific prayer was to either get well or die, as I could not bear the pain of the sickness any longer. I was sincere. I didn't care which one it was. 
I was completely surrendered to the possibility of death. It seemed a relief. Shigellosis, it turned out, was, the most, was a most serious illness, an illness which often killed old people and children. Moments after this beseeching prayer of surrender, I opened my eyes to look out the screen-free, open second-story window. In the distance were misty purple mountains, and undulating over the top of the mountain in a single huge black cloud which had not been there minutes before. It hung low, hugging the earth. Over a period of about 30 minutes, this cloud swiftly moved the many miles from the mountains directly toward my window. I realized it was coming straight at me. Too sick to move except to vomit or defecate, I lay there watching death take aim. I felt awed by this strange and magical sight, smiling slightly yet peacefully detached from the outcome. As the now dark gray-looking cloud grew quite close, it began to seem as though it had millions of tiny individual moving parts. Finally, part of the cloud flitted softly into my room and the entire room was filled with hundreds upon hundreds of monarch butterflies. A few actually touched me as they moved about the room. The cloud was not a cloud at all, but an enormous migration of millions and millions of butterflies. I took this room filled with gorgeous, delicately fluttering creatures as a sign that I was not going to die. Butterflies, to me, symbolized rebirth. Not less than an hour later, my husband, who had been gone most of the day, returned to the hotel room with a bottle of medicine from the pharmacy. At about the same time I had said my prayer, he remembered that whenever his family had become ill with diarrhea while traveling through Mexico, they'd gone to the pharmacist who prescribed something to stop it. He had brought me some of that, enteroviforma. Within a few hours, I was well enough to sit up and began to hold down a light soup broth. Only a couple of days later, I was well enough to travel again. I had lost 10 pounds in six days, which was not good as I was already underweight. I had also lost most of the cilia in my large intestines and had diarrhea for another seven months. It was a serious illness. I later learned that in Mexico, butterflies are considered a symbol of death. To me, however, they meant transformation in life, and I lived after this meaningful sign suddenly showed itself. Their unlike experience with the medicine seems far more than a coincidence to me decades later. Chapter 2, The Rainbow's End. Approximately 1982. Early one spring morning, my firstborn son, Austin, who was about six years old at the time, was in the car with me on the highway. We were cruising out to the Texas Hill Country when I noticed a fat, bright rainbow in the distance, probably the biggest I've ever seen. The sun was behind us and there were dark clouds before us. The contrast was stunning. The sky was striking. The massive rainbow arched over the highway leading to Austin. The road at that time was two lanes wide going in each direction. Where on this road we were, I'm not sure, but it was out in the countryside and curving in wide arcs left and right over and over. As we drew nearer the rainbow, I pointed it out to Austin, my son. He began watching it with me. I started to wonder if we might drive right through it. 
although I'd always heard that was impossible. There would be a pot of gold, everyone said, because it was common knowledge that no one ever got to the end of a rainbow out in nature. As we rounded the final curve approaching the rainbow, I could clearly see that the termination of this intensely colored rainbow was touching the road. There was no doubt about it, and we were the only vehicle in sight on the road at that time. I turned to my child and said, I want you to pay very close attention now. We are about to drive through the end of a rainbow. Everyone says it is impossible to find the end of a rainbow, but you and I are about to drive our car right through one. This is a miracle. I want you to remember it for the rest of your life. He focused carefully, watching as I slowed down to drive through it. We were embraced for about four to five seconds with the green part of this magnificent, enormous rainbow. I turned to look at him in the middle of the experience. He was transfixed, and briefly, he was completely green. I have never figured out why we were allowed to drive through the end of a rainbow, but we were. I phoned Austin recently to ask if he had any idea when this happened, and he assured me that he remembered the occasion, but was not certain how old he was at that time, but that he was very young. He also remembers that we were alone in the car. I had left his younger brother, Stuart, with his paternal grandmother for a few days so Austin could have some alone time with his mommy. My mother-in-law delighted in having the children around and kept them every chance she had. I include this story as a sacred journey because a miracle happened on a road trip. We experienced the divine in our lives. Neither of us ever forgot it. Please pay attention in your own life. Expect miracles. You never know when one will just come and go without your noticing it at all. As the Course in Miracles states, there is no order of difficulty in miracles. A small miracle is neither easier nor more difficult than a gigantic one. A miracle is a miracle. I'm going to skip around a bit. I'm not going to read them in sequence. I'm going to go to a much, much later time. And I'm scrolling through. Is there no other way to get to a much later time? Now we're going to go to Mount Shasta next. This is a piece of um, the chapter on Mount Shasta. This is the Mount Shasta bookstore. When I went into town to take a look at the books my fellow camper had recommended, the store I wanted to enter was not yet open. It was a Sunday, and it did not open until noon. I went across the street to a coffee shop and bookstore, got a cup of hot tea, and perused their wares. At one point, I was standing looking at a group of books and noticed an odd-looking picture of St. Germain. As I was looking at it, I realized that there was a man standing next to me, rather close into my space, and he was facing me. It did not feel uncomfortable, but it was unusual, and normally I do not like strangers to stand that close to me. I became aware that he was wearing a long tapered dress and an odd pillbox hat and wondered if he were a priest. I turned to look at him, and there was no one there. I blinked a couple of times, had a puzzled look on my face, and looked back at the picture of St. Germain. His face morphed into a slight smile for a moment and then back to his usual relaxed, relaxed expression in the photograph. That was when I realized the figure standing next to me had been St. Germain. Why could I all of a sudden see such things with greater clarity? 
I felt like I was in a light trance, spacey, I suppose one might say. I found one of the books that had been recommended, but not the others. I found one he did not recommend, one that kept calling to me. The book that I got interested in was one I actually bought for my older son. It was titled Getting Stoned with Savages. It was about kabakaba ceremonies on Fiji and Vanuatu, which my son had also experienced on a backpacking adventure taken during his college years. Kava is used for relaxation, and the kava available at Whole Foods was rather mild compared to the kava used on the Pacific Islands. That kava was stronger and had been chewed up and spit into a bowl by prepubescent males. Of course, the saliva predigested it somewhat. The kava at Whole Foods or any other health food store was not pre-chewed but dried and sold in capsules. The book was a travel book, actually. I'd never heard of the author before and was shocked at how good a writer he was. I read the other book, the one about Talos, the Lemurian interdimensional city located inside of Mount Shasta a couple of days later. Reading it was a struggle for me, as channeled material can be sometimes. I spent the rest of the day looking around the area, shopping for a while in the town, going to the visitor center for maps, driving out to locate the lake where I was supposed to meditate that evening, and then headed back up the mountain. Upon arrival at my campsite, I walked around the valley, looking at the trees and flowers for a while, watching the chipmunks scamper around, and then I read in the shade for several hours. Around 6 that evening, I drove down to the Sacramento Lake to execute my plan. Meditation during the full moon at a mountain lake. The full moon was at 6.30 p.m., so even though there was still plenty of light, I meditated anyway. I found a spot among the eucalyptus trees on the water's edge and sat down. I was there maybe 15 or 20 minutes. It was hot, and I was dripping with sweat. Sweat is good, mind you. Your lips is toxic, but enough is enough. I'd been sweating a lot, especially that first couple of days at my friend Terry's low-altitude campsite. My 15 meditation at the lake was very interesting, though. In it, I was immediately met by a man from inside Mount Shasta and taken inside where I saw a gorgeous, beautifully laid-out city. I was taken to a temple and told that I would be brought there again that night for instruction. I asked him if he thought a short meditation at this time was sufficient. He said it was quite enough and that he would see me again later that evening. I finished my meditation and hiked back to the car, driving back up the mountain to my campsite where it was much cooler. Let's skip forward a bit. As I lay down to sleep, I could hear sounds coming from more than one group, which I had observed sitting up to hold ceremony at the mountain on this particular full moon. There were rituals going on, chanting, singing, playing instruments. None of it was very loud. And all of it seemed to synchronize in an unexpected way. One set of instruments I had never heard before. The sound was unusual, like a cross between chimes and drums. In a different direction, I could hear a separate group comprised only of women singing songs I had not heard before. I thought how delightful it was to be in a sacred space like this where people gathered to celebrate the full moon as our ancestors had done for thousands upon thousands of years. I wished it were like that again everywhere. My guidance was clear that I was not supposed to join any of these groups. At the time I checked, I was sitting at the campfire before bedtime. The sun was still up and I was staring off into space looking at the ground, which was a deep, soft, solid field of brownish color comprised of fine bits of pine bark. As I did this, I began to see with my eyes open dozens of rapidly moving white wisps, almost like wisps of smoke, but more like white eels, 
fluidly swimming around in the air. Immediately, I looked upwind to see if there were a fire near me, but there was none. I could not smell smoke either. So I allowed my eyes to go unfocused again, staring at the ground, and after a few seconds, I began to see the swimming white wisps again. I wondered mentally what they might be and heard the words, white dragons. I then realized I was seeing into the fifth dimension. Yes, indeed, the energy here was special. I watched the dragons until my eyes got tired of staying open because each time I blinked, they would go away for five to ten seconds. The wind was blowing softly up toward the direction of Mount Shasta at that time. Before that, it had been coming down from the mountain. Finally, after it started to get dark, I went to bed, but I had trouble going to sleep. Finally, I managed to do so. I was not excited as one might expect, but just open and allowing about what might happen that night in the dream time. After I'd been asleep a couple of hours, I awoke to the sound of people talking and the smell of a campfire. I was directly downwind of someone's fire. The ceremonies were over and a group of people lit a fire and sat down to talk. They were probably 50 yards away, maybe more, but I could hear every word clearly as though they were much closer. They had no idea how far their voices carried. I covered my head with the blanket I had brought, and surprisingly, that filtered out all the smell of the smoke. Eventually, I went back to sleep. When I went into the dream time, I was met by the man I had seen in the meditation by the lake earlier that day. He said his name was Adam A. He was my teacher for that night and the next. Now, I cannot recall everything I saw or learned, but one thing does stand out. He taught me by showing me visually that the human heart is not at all what we think it is. It's a brain. He had a male volunteer who was the example for me. Adam A. lifted the man's heart up out of his body. He did not touch the heart. He just directed it to float up and out, and it did. It did not come all the way out. Rather, it floated out all except for the bottom bit, which had a smooth root coming out of it, anchoring it somewhere down inside the body. As my teacher floated the heart out, I could easily see that it actually looked like a brain. Adam A. said that the heart is a brain and that we're intended to think with it. Think with your heart, act with your brain, he said. That meant make heart-based decisions and then execute the decisions with the brain's tools. The man's heart was returned to its rightful position. And he got up off the table. Then it was my turn to lie down. And I was simultaneously on the table, standing to the side with the teacher. He then, and at the same time, standing to the side with the teacher. He then pulled my heart out for me to see. It was lopsided. One side was more developed than the other. He explained to me why that was and told me what to do to fill out the other side. It had to do with too much work and not enough fun. He also told me to run around like that is dangerous. He meant it was dangerous for me. So I've been working on that since my return. What else happened that night during the lessons, I cannot remember clearly at this time, although I know there was more. The instructions lasted all night. Okay, that's all I'm going to read for today. My book will be uploaded to um, Kindle. I'm aiming for the 21st of February. And anyone who's listening that knows someone who can design book covers, have them contact me. I'm at this time looking for someone to design book covers. And so we're going to listen to a little bit of music for a few moments. 
This is Adam Hurst, The Ritual Album.
the book that I read from is one that's not yet been published. It's going to be published to Kindle around the 21st of February. And the title, again, is Sacred Journeys and Vision Quests. And it's about trips I have taken, uh, some small, like to the grocery store, some big long ones, like to Europe, um, in which mystical things occurred. And the other two books that I have written, which are available for purchase at Amazon Kindle, are Acacia Records, Case Studies of Past Lives, and Edina, all caps, E-D-I-N-A, Energy Medicine from the Stars. Edina stands for Energy Dynamics for the Integration of Natural Attributes. And it's helpful as it works on the light body. It's extremely helpful for um, assisting us in the ascension process as we are transforming our physical bodies to light bodies. And those are available, again, on Amazon and Kindle. And you can just type in my name, Lois, L-O-I-S, Wetzel, L-U-E-T-Z-E-L, and the books that I have published will show up. And type that in for the Amazon, Amazon search engine. I have a website with a free newsletter, Hot Pink Lotus, L-O-T-U-S, dot com. There's also um, a website for the energy medicine called Edina, E-D-I-N-A, HealingTemple.com. There's a lot of free information on both those websites. There are even free uh, meditations on the Hot Pink Lotus website. Just look under the uh, tab on the right that says free stuff. I hope you'll come back again next Friday and have a listen. I'll be talking with... um, one of the most brilliant dream interpreters I've ever met, June O'Brien, who's also written a couple of books. Her website is dreamtalkwithjune.com if you want to go check her out before next Friday. And she and I will be talking again 9 a.m. Friday, February the 1st. Come join us, please. And then um, in early March, I will be interviewing... Greg Kahn, K-U-H-N, who has written a book called Why Quantum Physicists Don't Fail. And it's an extraordinary book about how to use the um, understanding that, that the quantum physicists now have about the nature of reality in order to manifest a reality that you want, not what you don't want. And even though I've been studying this particular topic since 1979, he actually helped me put things in a, a structure. He calls it an architecture that does make things um, makes it easier to manifest things. So I highly recommend you come hear me hear yeah me talk to him him talk to me <laughs> first week in March. Thank you for being here. And thank you for those who are listening in the archives. I appreciate you all.
Thank you.